0: Chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1, we'll be reading verses 1 through 7, if you'd rise for the reading of God's Word this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Hear the Word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus to Timothy, my beloved child. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as I did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember, you, as I, as I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that has dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this is the reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying of hands from God. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self control. May we be blessed by the reading of God's word this morning. You may be seated. There are no announcements, so I'll just jump into it this morning. If you've been with us, you have know I've struggled to to land on what God would have for us next. And I I thought it was going to be Corinthians, and uh, God uh, threw a curveball, and last week began to press this onto my heart. So I'm going to let you in on where God brought me to this small little letter to Timothy. It really stems out of reading. If you turn there for just a moment, we'll get here in a few weeks, but it comes out of this passage in Second Timothy chapter 3. This is what Paul will write to Timothy, and we'll study this in a few weeks. He says this, and this is how it landed on me, thinking of us here at Powell's Chapel. He says this, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, where people will be lovers of "...self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having an appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people." And I thought to myself, as reading and studying and looking at the landscape of where we're at, is that not true for us today? And so as I was thinking about us as a church, what would it be that God would have for us in the the place God has us here in America? And so what would God want to teach us? And it comes out of the, the following rest of it. And then this is where we must land on today. Later on in that same chapter, Paul will say this, and you know the text well. He says this to Timothy. All Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I thought to myself, "If, if there's anything that God would have us In these last days, what would it be? So that we would know the Word of God. And oftentimes we can come to that passage and we can think that the the man of God is the preacher. That is not true. The man or the woman of God is you. And so you must know the Word of God because you're in the last days. And am I equipping you? For the work of the service as you live in the last days. And that was Paul's plea to Timothy here in this letter. You're going to see in a moment most of us are like Timothy. Now Timothy made the Bible so he's a big deal. But there's some things that we'll see in the text about Timothy that we can raise our hand and be like, yeah, me too. But yet Paul, the apostle, charges Timothy to do something with what he has. I'm going to give you the landscape of where this letter occurs in God's word and how it got to Timothy. Many scholars believe this is Paul's last letter. Written about uh, 67 AD. So Paul is in his last days on the planet. And Paul is writing this letter to his protege, the the young man coming up behind him. And Timothy's probably about 40 years old or so, many of the scholars say. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, there's some things I want you to know before I leave. Uh, Many scholars believe this, it's Paul's last will and testimony. And here is the setting of where paul is at paul is in his second and last stint in a roman prison cell so he's not like vacationing on the 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 shore in the greek isles he's not having his best life now writing this letter like man this is so good this is not how paul's going out paul is chained in a prison cell in rome now prison here is bad prison there was really bad. So so bring your mind's eye to where Paul's at. Paul's about 70 years old or so, sitting in an underground cell that had a small window above his head, simply for light and oxygen, chained to his bed. And that's not like a a sealy bed. That's like a slab of a uh, rock with some hay on top of it. And it says this about Paul. We'll see this later on, that at this point in Paul's life, all of his friends have de- deserted him except one guy, Luke. Luke, the one that wrote Acts, Luke that was talked about in Luke, that Luke, the, the physician. That's the only brother that's hanging out with Paul at this point because everyone else in Paul's life like, man, I don't want that. Like, I get near you, and, like, I get shipwrecked, uh, snakes bite me. Like, I I don't want any of that. They desert him. So here's Paul sitting in prison, and it says this. Something is stirred in his heart for Timothy. So he writes a very personal letter to Timothy. Hey, there's, like, uh, humming up here. It's, like, driving me bananas. I'm like, Man, my head is like, you ever get that like humming noise in your head? That's what's happening. So Paul's in prison writing Timothy a letter. And Paul knows this about his life. He knows he's about to die. Not die because he's sick, not die because he's old. Die because any moment they're going to drag him out of his cell and kill him. He's on his deathbed. He's on death row. We know that from just in a few chapters in chapter 4, this is what Paul says. Now, we know the passage. You've heard the passage, but I want to read the passage in light of this is Paul about to die, about to be executed. He says this to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, if you want to turn there. He says, for I'm ready. I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time of our departure has come. Just think about those words. I know it's about to come, Timothy. I know they're about to kill me. And my life has been poured out like a drink offering before the Lord. He says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. I just can see oftentimes we read that and we think Paul's face has a smile on it. I think there's tears coming to Paul's eyes as he pins like my life's almost over and I've done all that I could and I've fought the good fight for the Lord. I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. Henceforth there lay up for me a crown of righteousness which is in the Lord, the righteous judge. He will award me on that day, and not only me, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. I think what he's saying also to you, Timothy. Like, he's saying that, like, there's a day coming for you as well, Timothy. And so, Paul, in his last moments, Has these few words to say to Timothy. Of all the things that he could write about, of all the things that Paul would want Timothy to know, what does Paul want Timothy to know? It is simply this this is the crux of the whole letter. I want you to use your spiritual gifts to continue to preach. God's word with boldness. And he's going to tell Timothy, but it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. And why would he say this to Timothy? Hey, Timothy, I want you to have great boldness in proclaiming the word. Well, because we're going to know here in a moment that there's something in Timothy that Paul must speak to. Look in verse 6, or verse 7, excuse me. He says to Timothy, Hey, Timothy, God has not given you what? A spirit of fear. That word fear, it's so butchered in the text. The word fear is, is not fear. The word fear is cowardness, a shrinking back. How many of us are like Timothy and we're cowards with what God has given to us. And so he's going to say, we're going to look at this in a moment, but he's going to say, hey, there's been this gift that's been entrusted in you. Don't cower away from what's been entrusted in you, Timothy. But how many of us are like Timothy? Like I can't do it. I don't have the words. I don't have the education. I don't know God's word. That's Timothy. Two letters are written to Timothy. He, outside of Jesus, had the greatest teacher ever, Paul. Paul was the greatest missionary this world has ever, in my opinion, will ever see. He wrote most of the New Testament. And yet something in Timothy is like, I don't know if I can do it. Anyone relate to that? Or you like, yeah, go on, let's go. Are you're like, man, I, I, there's something in me. I had this cowardness about me. And yet Paul is going to remind Timothy that there was a gift implanted into him at salvation. Let's look at that this morning. So that's the context of what's happening. So Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. To, he's asking Timothy to come actually visit him in the prison cell. Before he gets executed. Now, none of us know if Timothy ever made it. We do know he got the letter, but we don't know if he made it to the prison before Paul was executed. And this is what Paul is going to say to him, but Paul is saying to us this morning. If we're going to preach and teach and know the Word of God with boldness, we must be reminded. That is the will of God who gives us a personal relationship with Christ Jesus. So Paul's going to invoke back to Timothy. Hey, Timothy, what you have isn't because you went and found it. What you have is because of the will of God that it was given to you. And what was given to you? A personal relationship with Jesus. He says that in the text. Paul, an apostle, that means a messenger with authority. Paul is saying, I'm writing this with the authority that Christ has given to me. The apostle of Christ Jesus, by what the will of God, according to the promises of a life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, Christ Jesus our Lord. The first thing that we see is the will of God gives us a personal relationship with Jesus. There is no way for any of us to preach and proclaim boldly the word of God without that personal relationship. So maybe the reason your cowardness is in you is because you don't really have a true relationship with Christ. And that's what Paul is saying. Be reminded, Timothy, it is the will of God to save you. And it was God's gift to you. That you are saved. He says this about a personal relationship with Jesus. And this is true for all of us. And this is the reminder to us that when we go to preach and proclaim God's word with boldness, we have this in us. Our relationship with Christ gives us, he says this, a promised life. According to what? Is the will of God according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus you have promises because of your relationship with God. If no other promise you have is simply this, that you no longer will spend eternity in hell, that ought to give us great boldness. Because that great boldness will say, no matter what you do to me, there's something greater that awaits for me. But if I don't have that personal relationship with Christ, I won't have that boldness because I won't be assured that there's something better waiting for me. And I wonder for us, Do we, and are we reminded of the promise that God has given to us through Christ Jesus at our salvation that hell no longer awaits us? But heaven's gates are being, waiting to be thrown open for us. Do you this morning sit on the promises of God in your life through Christ Jesus in your salvation? Now, I would implore you, go read throughout God's word and just look for the promises of God that happen for you. I don't have enough time this morning to list them all out. But if all it is is that we no longer spend an eternity in hell, but eternity with Christ Jesus, that will give us boldness. Next thing that we see our relationship with Christ is what? He says it is from and by, look, there's a few verses, by the will of God. So now it's nothing that we've done. So because it's nothing we've done, we we don't have to do anything to, to gain it or to keep it. Like Do we sit with a relationship from Christ that we know it's by the will of God, by faith, and faith alone? And Paul will say this all over his writings even that faith is a gift from God. For you to have faith in Christ Jesus is not of your own merit, it is the will of God through the gift of God in your life. This is what Paul is reminding Timothy about. You have this salvation, you have these promises, and these salvations, and these prom- the salvation and the promises are the will of God, and it's a gift through faith from him. You have faith, and only faith, because of God's will in your life. And then he says this. Timothy, don't forget this. What our personal relationship with Christ does for us, and what we experience. I would ask you this this morning. Are you experiencing these three things in your relationship with Christ? He says, I'm writing to you, Timothy, because of the will of God, the promises of God, your salvation. You now have three things, grace, mercy, and peace from God with, with, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Our salvation gives us grace, mercy, and peace. What is grace, we ask. Don't ever forget this. It's so simple. Grace is receiving gifts that we do not deserve. As the gift of God, you and I, when we come to Christ, you get boatloads of grace. Boatloads of grace. And then he says, not only do you get grace, but you get mercy. And what's mercy? You know this. Not getting what we do deserve. What do we deserve? We deserve eternal punishment apart from Christ that is torment. That is what we deserve. You and I, that's what we deserve. That is what we're, uh, that's what we ought to do every day. But the mercy of God through our salvation, because of the will of God, he pours out his mercy on us every day. Are we sitting in the grace of God? And are we sitting in the mercies of God? The mercy of God, even for us to get up in the morning, is because Of God's love and kindness towards us. And then he says this. We are experiencing God's grace. We are experiencing God's mercy. And we are experiencing God's what? Peace. Do you have peace with God today? Like in your life right now. Would you say your life is marked with peace? That's a promise from God. But that promise from God to have peace comes through our salvation. And the the peace that he's talking about is we no longer have to have fear when we come, like trepidation, when we come into the presence of God because we have peace with God because of what Christ did for us. Like the peace that we have through Christ Jesus allows us to even come into the presence of God. That ought to give us great peace. How many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we understand the grace of God, we understand the mercy of God, but we're not truly experiencing the peace of God? Like our souls are always what? At angst. And what does Jesus say? Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you what? Rest, peace. Are we experiencing that? Because that is a promise from God about our salvation. We will have peace with God. That is what our relationship with Christ does. Not only that, we go on in the text. Because of our relationship with God, because it's the will of God, the will of God gives us relationship not only with Him, but with God's people. Let's look at that in the text, verses 3 and 4. So now the question you have to ask, do I have true, authentic relationships with the people of God? Like if you were to write someone a letter in this congregation, Powell's Chapel, could you write these words? Because this is the relationship that my relationship with Jesus gives me with relationship with people in the church. I thank God, whom I serve, as I did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. What he's saying in that is, I know I'm in prison, but I'm I did not do anything, I have a clear conscience. He's got no guilt on him. What does he have a clear conscience? What is he able to have a clear conscience around? He's guiltless about what he's done, why he's in prison, but he says this, as I sit in this prison cell, I'm reminded constantly in my prayers day and night. I'm reminded of you. How many of us here, when we leave here, are reminded of one another? And then the challenge is how many of us are praying for one another constantly, day and night? Or do you just simply come on a Sunday morning and leave and go about your way, and then you're reminded next Sunday about the people of God? I know we gossip about the people of God, but do we pray for the people of God? That's a big difference. When we talk about people, that's not praying about people. But Paul is saying, there's something about you, Timothy, that I love, that I care about, that I, day and night, I am constantly praying for you. He goes on to say this in verse 4. As I am reminded of your tears, I long to see you, that my that I may be filled with joy what what Paul is writing about here is the last time that he personally saw Timothy and there was something in that interaction with Paul and Timothy that afternoon before Paul was to, to get on a, a ship and, and depart from Timothy in Ephesus you ever been with someone and you know there's a good chance you may never see them again Or you, you know, like, man, it's going to be a while before I see them again. And like something in your soul and your spirit that's just like unbeknownst to you, you tear up and you just, I'm not saying you boo, but it's like you start just crying. That's what's happening with Timothy when he looks at Paul and Paul's about to depart. Something's going on in the heart of Timothy with Paul. And Paul's like, I remember that. And so much so I remember that I want to see you again. And in seeing you again, my joy will be complete. Now here's the question for us at Powell's Chapel. In this congregation, are we moved to prayer? Are we moved to compassion? And are we moved like, I can't wait to see them again. Like, I can't wait to get in their presence again. Like, is there something in you that's like, man, I'm going to leave here at 1130, if Todd doesn't go too long, and I'm going to not see these people again until Wednesday, and there's something in me that's like, I just can't wait to get back to church. If that's not in you, then you're going to have to backpedal it up. Is there something in you that's off with your relationship with Jesus? Because if you have a relationship with Jesus, it's going to drive you to have a relationship with God's people. Because Jesus himself knew he couldn't do this alone. Jesus needed companions. Jesus needed friends. If there was a dude on the planet that ever lived that didn't need friends, it would have been Jesus. Like, he didn't even need a grocery store. That dude was like, hey, that rock, I need some bread. Got it. That water, I need some wine. Got it. Like, he didn't need people. But there was something in the heart of Jesus like, I desire to be with people. That's why he came. You know that, Right? His whole reason for coming was so that you and I could be with God forever. God doesn't need us. but He desires to be with us, and Jesus made that way possible. And then Jesus said, let me show you what that looks like. Remember what God said in Genesis chapter 2. It is not good for what? Man to be alone. Now, we can take that and just think that's about marriage. No, that's about community. That's about everybody. Over and over and over again in the New Testament, we see that this relationship with Jesus is not meant to be lived alone. We need each other. We need to be praying for each other. We need to be moved with compassion towards one another. There needs to be something in us like Paul, like Timothy. It's like, man, when I get with you, I'm filled with joy. Filled with joy when I'm with God's people. Is that true for us? I want to remind us, church: we need each other. We need a place to confess our sins. We need a place to pray for one another. We need a place to encourage one another. We need a place to build one another up. We need a place that, man, if I need something, I can rely on you to get it done. I'm so grateful that there is a spirit of that in this church. And yet, there's so much more for Powell's Chapel to have. We are not complete in our fellowship with one another. I promise that. May we be filled with joy when we come into God's place. The next and last thing is this. When you have a relationship with Jesus, you have a relationship with God's people, the will of God moves us into service. Let's look at those last few verses, verses 5 and 6 and 7. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother and in your mother, and now I'm sure dwells in you, Timothy. And then he says this, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you from the laying of hands, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and self-control. And we know this, that all of us have been given gifts from God. At the moment of your conversion, God implanted gifts in each one of you. We know this from Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 says this in verses 11 and 12. Paul is talking to the church that Timothy's pastoring, and he says to that church, "Hey, I'm, I need to do some stuff, but I need to remind you of some stuff that God implanted in you. And Then he gives this list of gifts for service for the church. He gave some, the gift of apostles, the gift of being a prophet, the gift of evangelism, the gift of shepherding, the gift of teaching. That many scholars would say those are the, the functions that God implants in all of God's people for the church. and So somehow, way, in each of you, if you're a Christ follower, you have one of those gifts or two or three of those gifts. Some of you are an apostles. So that just simply means this. I have this desire in me to, to do things and to start things with God's call to us. Again, some ladies the other day, came and said, hey, we want to start a Bible study. That is the gift of an apostle, to see a need in the church and then to go make sure that need is met. So if you think, oh, I'm not an apostle, that word apostle isn't like you're the disciples or your Peter. You have this message that God's placed on your heart, and you can't do anything but get it out of you. So some of you in this building have that gift. Others of you, it's the gift of being a prophet. Prophets get a bad rap. I'm a prophet. That's one of my gifts. Prophets see things and have to say things that no one else is willing to say. And they're not well liked. So if you're a prophet, you're not going to have a whole lot of friends. Because you're going to see things in people and you're going to call them to repentance. Maybe that's in you. Then he says, "This there's the gift of an evangelist, like an evangelist, like they can't help but to just go spread Jesus everywhere." I know all of us are called to do that, but some of us, like I'm an introvert. I said something yesterday at a party. I was like, I had great regret of saying this, so I'll make a public confession of that. Someone said something about being around people and not being around people. I was like, Amen. I was like, Oh man, I said that out loud. Like, and they said, Yeah, we know that about you. Like, like. For me, this is way more comfortable in this pulpit than it is in a, like, big like when I'm at parties, you're like, Todd's not very outgoing. I'm really not. I like Being in a party is terrifying to me. Now, it might not seem that way because I, that's not in me. I'm an introvert. Most people that are introverts are not evangelists. Most extroverts are. So maybe that's you. Like, you, are, man, you just love people and want people to know about Jesus. I want people to know about Jesus. But, like, it's way more comfortable me to do it this way than it is to go door to door. Like, that terrifies me. I'll do it because I'm told to do it, but it's not. it doesn't, like, come out of me naturally. Maybe that's you, though. The other one that I am is this. He says, and I've given some the gift of being a shepherd. A shepherd just means caring for people. Like, I love to be with people in that office. One on one. Like, can just ministering to them and just speaking to them. Like that, and that fuels me. Like that's why I got into the profession I got into because I just want to shepherd people. I'll pick on Miss Ebony here for a moment. That's what, that, she's like, she is a shepherd. If you've ever been around her, you'll be like, man, like she will love on you. Right? You better say amen, bro. I'll put that ball on the tee for you. And the last one is this. And some are teachers. I believe that's one of the gifts God's placed on my life. But I've seen the teacher gift placed on your life. Joshua, you have the gift of teaching. It is clear when you take this pulpit or you're back there with the kids, the gift of teaching flows out of you. But here's the deal. All of us in this room have one or a myriad of those gifts. Are we using them? Are we using them? Because Paul says this is the reason for it. We're to have all these gifts in verse 12 of chapter 4 in Ephesians to what? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. See, if you're an evangelist, I need you in my life. I need you in my life to help me become a better evangelist. Though that might not be my gift, I can sit and watch you. If you're an evangelist and not a shepherd, you need me in your life to show you, hey, this is how you care for people. And so if you have these gifts, there's part of the body that doesn't have these gifts, and they need you. If you're a teacher, you can't just simply teach. You need to teach people how to teach. It can't just be one teacher. There has to be many teachers. Now, that might not be your primary gift, but that doesn't mean just because I don't have the gift, I can't do it. Like, that would be really nice. Like, I don't have the gift of evangelism, so I'm going to sit on the bench. And you call me when you're ready for me to go teach. But we need each other. Why? For the equipping of the saints, for the building up of the body. And that is what Paul is saying to Timothy. And I want to fan that flame, Timothy, in you. And the laying on our hands is what is not what gave Timothy the gift. Let's not be mistaken. I know we can you see that in the text. By the laying of, on hands, know what the, that means is by the laying of hands is confirmation of the gift that they already saw. Like when we do a, a, a deacon, uh, when we install new deacons, that moment that we have the deacons come and kneel and we pray over them, that is not what's. That's what's installing them. But the laying on our hands is like, hey, for the last six, eight months, we've been watching these men, and they have the gift of being a deacon. And so we're confirming that. We're not putting anything in them by the laying on our hands. It's a confirmation. And so what Paul is saying, Timothy, I see the gift that God has already put into you. And I see these men, when you became an elder, laid their hands on you. Don't forget the gift that has been confirmed in you so that you can go and use that gift to further the kingdom of God. And then he says this, here's how we are to use that gift. He gives us four things in closing. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love. And self-control. So we are to use that gift. We are to fan a flame, that gift. And we are to use it and to serve without fear. Without being a coward. Now I know we're going to be fearful at moments. But it's not the spirit of fear. Let's not shrink back from what God has called us. Let's be reminded of the one that gave us the gift. Therefore, if he gave us the gift, we have what? All that we need. And then he says this. Now use that gift with power. Not your power, but the power of the Holy Spirit. I promise this. You do not want me coming into this pulpit with my power. It will be a disaster. You want me to stand with all the power and authority from Christ Jesus to you. But each of you must use that gift and use the power of God. It points us back to our neediness of God. Not only that, we are to serve with love. That's what he says, with power and love. Are we using the gifts in a loving way? I promise this. I've seen it in so many pastors. You can use those gifts in a very harmful way. A very harmful way. You can use it to damage people quickly. Where Chris and I work. We run into so many people that have sat under pastors that have these gifts, but they don't serve them with love. And they're brutal with the gifts that God has put onto them. And they use them in harmful ways. They're not building up the body. They're tearing down the body. So do you serve the body with love? And the last one is this. Do you do it with self-control? You have to have power. You have to have love. And you you put those together. You must have self-control, which is a dependence on the Lord. And so this morning in closing, let us be reminded Paul's writing Timothy. He's saying to Timothy, he's gonna tell him just in a few chapters, Hey, it's really bad out there. But Timothy, have boldness to declare God's word. Because we need people to be reminded all authority, all scriptures are breathed out from by God. And then use it to be profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. I, to the man and the woman, the church of God, will be equipped and will be complete for every good work. That is the reason that we have to start with our relationship with Jesus. But then it must move us into relationship with people. And then being moved into relationship with people, we must serve one another. May we be used by God to further his kingdom with the gospel this morning. Let me pray for us.